Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today I am going to preach uh, not popular someone lately. And uh, why is it not popular? Especially in the, the grace ministers. Not that we don't ascribe to the things I'm going to share. We 100% do ascribe to them. But there is a hard conversation in trying to help us reconcile some things in the gospel to balance up our experiences between the grace that we profess to have by Christ and the faith that should help us live the character and life of that grace. My man of God told me many years ago, Dimola, David, many ways he kept insisting that when you get anointed, when you're anointed by God, the most dangerous thing to live is if you cannot reconcile this anointing to the character, godly character, if you cannot reconcile those two, if they are conflicting, that the anointing of God operating on your life is not agreeable to the character of God in you. I learned that early, that it's a very dangerous life to live. And all of us in this room can agree that in part of the things that we have to have deep conversations in the church of Jesus Christ, in the balances of the spirit that are required, is the reconciliation of our character to the anointing and calling that we carry by God. It's almost as though we assume very easily that many people understand the importance of this. But I've also seen this many times, that we have either had people who are so under the law that they're trying to live right and have failed to live right because they're living under the wrong pattern or principle. Because they begin building from the law to live right. Or we have also had the group of people who have not appreciated the grace of God, nor understood why it has come to us. And such people are immature in the doctrine. And because of that, they are complacent, they are relaxed, they are careless in how they live their Christian life because they know that grace is available to take them out of any trouble should they land in any. And much as they are right in many of these instances, they are not true because the intention of grace is not just to take you out of trouble, but it is there to keep you out of trouble. Then you have the third group, which majority of us in this room subscribe to. Oh yes, you are on your journey of serving God and living for Jesus Christ, but there's a few things that have refused to leave you. Perhaps you are here, you're born again, you love God, but you have a very bad drinking problem. 
she loved the Lord and you're trying to come out. A few character flaws here and there, you have a very bad attitude, you are hot-tempered, you're dealing with unforgiveness, you have hatred for the brethren, you blackmail, you're perhaps here and you're a gossiper. And it might look like a small thing. The Bible tells us that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It might be a small thing, but it can become so consequential in your life. And the Bible has also taught us that regardless of how little you call this flow, okay, it is as equally dangerous as whatever big thing you see in another brother's life. You know, we have also those people who have built standards of how sinful other people are and how less sinful they are. I've seen it many times. So you find this person saying, ah, that sister, oh, no, 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 there's something wrong with her. She's sleeping around, you see? Oh, yeah, that's bad. But then you, who is accusing that, you are a chief gossiper, you see? And gossip, bad-mouthing, and slander, the Bible calls it the poison of snakes. Gossipers are like poisonous snakes. In the spirit realm, a person who is a gossiper is likened to a poisonous snake. Do you understand? Which other individual in scripture is referred to as a snake? The serpent himself, Satan. That's why the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. So for you to think that your gossip is a less sin than a sister who is you know, sleeping around. But God is telling you, he that breaks one has broken all. So you might have a lying problem, you know, in your little chit-chats as you're speaking to your boyfriends or girlfriends or your sisters and family. You find yourself dropping a few lines of deception. You, <laughs> you exaggerate stories, you know. You have ways of telling lies just to get by and please people. Well, that little lie is equal to a brother who committed murder. Yeah, but this one killed. Oh, yes, they did kill. But to God, all of these are sin. And if you break one, you've actually broken what? Oh. In that, it helps you to understand that you are under no moral right or obligation to judge another brother when you can look at yourself too and realize that you also have your what? Your issues. Of course, we have people who are so judgmental. You're so judgmental in your spirit. In there, there's something about you that is so judgmental that everybody in the world is below your standard. Yet, if God was really to help you have an opinion, a true opinion of yourself, to help you really understand who you are, you'd actually discover that you're worse than all the people who you're judging. Don't you know the Bible says that with whatever measure you will judge a man, it shall be measured back unto you. So, as you hold people with so high standards, I want you to remember, God will hold you with so high standards too, and you will never match up. There are people who are serial judges. They judge everyone. That it's almost as though nobody, nobody will ever be perfect to you. If somebody makes a mistake, you've written them off for the rest of your life. You'll never talk to them again. You're that kind of person. You're so loyal, you're a good friend, but the day somebody makes a mistake, they are done. They're out of your book of life. You see what I'm saying? But you, dear woman, God has dealt with you every day in your madness and you're still in his book of life. You see, 
that some of you judge people more than God would judge you. And you think that that's right. It's not right before God. But anyway, usually such people have studied and taken time to study. It usually begins with self-condemnation. And one day it shifts from them and they start to throw it to another because it's the only way they can carry it without wounding themselves. You are hard on yourself, so you become so hard on other people. See, and that's bad because such people usually in life either go into very self-destructing activities or usually people start repelling. I mean, they start rejecting you. People start walking away from you. People start walking out of your life because you're righteous. They are not, you see. And that's a bad life to live. But that's not what I came to preach about today. I came to talk about that place where you're in a journey. You're saying, I'm dealing with this weakness. I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with this. And I'm struggling with this. And I, I feel I want to walk out, but I don't have the strength to. I feel I want to walk out of this weakness. Because you should. You see, whatever fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, it's supposed to manifest in our lives. Love is supposed to be a manifestation. It's fruit. Peace is supposed to be a manifestation. Self-control is supposed to be a manifestation. You know, all of these things written and spoken of are supposed to be manifestations in our lives. Do you agree? Now, then you have this issue of um, God has given me righteousness through faith. And that's true. I am the righteousness of God through faith. That's true. So you're not made righteous by your works, but you're made righteous through faith. And all of us know it. We believe it. We agree to it. But there's a person who uses that to continue to live sinfully or to do nothing about what they're going through in their weaknesses because they feel that there's a sort of cover that Christ has put on them. So for some think it's okay to continue that way. But nobody who is born again should think that way. In fact, your spirit cannot think that way. When you think that way, it's just your fleshly man, not your spirit man. Paul had the same journey of trouble and war in Romans chapter 7. He says, that which I will to do, I do not. And that which I will not to do, I do. For in me is a man that celebrates and agrees with the law of God inwardly, but without there is a man that is serving the law of sin. For to will is present, but to do is absent. I try and I want to do what is right, but I'm failing to get this thing out of my system. Paul went through it. And he got the frustration that many of us sometimes find ourselves into. Oh, wretched man, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who? He felt it too. And some of us feel it genuinely. There are people who might never tell you so, but they are struggling in their heart and they want to walk out. They want to leave right. I call it walking in the paths of righteousness. Now that we have received the gift of righteousness freely, then let us allow it to work through us that we will walk the paths of the righteousness we have received through faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like God saying, by his stripes you were healed. First Peter 2.24. If by his stripes you were healed, then your body should agree with the word and you will start feeling the healing that you have received by Christ through the Spirit. Isn't it? It's like you cannot continue saying by his stripes I was healed, but your body is dying every day. Your heart, your kidneys, your liver is dying every day. But you're saying that by his stripes I was healed. Yes, it's good to continue confessing it. But eventually, 
The reconciliation of things comes when what I believe in my spirit, my body can agree with. Isn't it? So it is with this, that you say you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's a huge disconnect and there's war eventually that will come in your spirit when you know that you are the righteousness of God, but you are not living right. We can either sugarcoat it and act like it's okay for us to, you know, just say, oh, let's just... Yeah, let's go and we'll see. Or we can actually have very tough conversations on this issue. But in doing this, I'm not seeking to throw a man back into the law of works. In fact, that's not what I came to do. I came to help you know how to walk out of any weakness or any struggles that you have as an individual, but we effortlessly, effortlessly, without struggle or strife. I want to show you the grace way of walking out of sin. Because there is a legal way. The legal way is don't steal, don't kill, don't do this. And then you're going to try to do everything there is not to do. And yet you cannot do. Let's first understand that fully. Let's first understand that fully. Why was the law sent? The Bible says that the law was given to them which are under the law, that all mouths will be stopped and that all men will become guilty before God. So why did God give you the Ten Commandments? He gave you the Ten Commandments simply to prove to you that you cannot obey them. Simply. So that means everything written in there was not for you to fulfill in your own human ability. It was only to shed the light in your conscience to understand that you actually cannot. All mouths may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That means nobody under the Ten Commandments written in Scripture can say, me, I obeyed all of them since I was born till now. Nobody. It will stop your mouth in the tracks and you'll shut up and realize, oh, oh, I probably have told a lie. I probably have hated a brother and hating a brother murders him. I probably have looked at a man lustfully or a woman lustfully. That means you cannot fulfill it. God has not given you the law to fulfill. He has given you the law to realize that you cannot fulfill so he can help you fulfill it. Do you understand what I'm saying? But people of the law really don't understand this. They don't understand this. And let me tell you this. I was fellowshiping with my auntie and wife recently. And we were having this hard conversation that not many people actually understand the gospel. Not many people. Not many people actually understand the gospel. Either from the perspective of people who are teaching it or to the perspective of the people who are being taught. And realize that especially our local churches, local speaking churches, many people have a very wrong understanding of the word of God. That is why people up to today, they are breaking generational curses of 20 years, 40 years. I am breaking this curse of my great great. And then you ask them, but you've been rebuking this thing for 20 years. What has changed? You've been casting out generational curses for 30 years. Why is it that it cannot change in your life? What is this devil that has refused to leave your home? You don't know the truth. Because if you knew the truth, it would make you free. You see what I'm saying? So it is with this thing I'm teaching about. Not many people can understand this, even those with doctorates in theology. Very people can actually understand this mystery. That no man has been called by God to perform enough to obtain righteousness, and neither can any man perform by God to live right. 
you cannot. You can try, but eventually you will fail. Paul says somewhere that we know we the Jews have no advantage over non-Jewish sinners. In the message version, he said, and how do we know that? Verse 16. He says, we know that very well, that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. And how do we know? He says, we tried it. Paul says, we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. We had all the laws and rules that were given to Israel more than the rest of the world. Israel had all the rules and the laws given to them. But he said, but we were convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. Even after all the laws were given, they got to the end that no human being can please God through self-improvement. And we believed in Jesus as a Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not trying to be good. Eventually, Paul and the team and all the Jews realized one day that we have tried to improve ourselves against the laws that were given. And we realized that no man can fulfill them. No one. No one. So we realize that we either can try to set ourselves right on a system that has failed to work or find a system that works. And what was the system that worked? Believing in Jesus as the Messiah, that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not trying to be good. And it was in trusting that Messiah that then the living right started to come. Don't lose that. So the difference between law people and grace people is this. The law people say, you live right until you please God. The men of grace say, no, you believe right first. You believe God. And then he helps you live right. You see? But when we talk about believing preceding the works, many people think that we underestimate the works. We don't. And you should know all of you listening to any grace preacher. We're not against works. We are not even underestimating. We do esteem them, but we understand the order, right? The order is that you believe first and then right believing will lead to right living. It's somewhere in the message version. If you believe right, you will live right. If you believe wrong, you will live wrong. The law man does not talk about what you believe. He talks about what you must do. And then after doing it, then you'll attain righteousness. That's not how it works. It never works that way. But you must get to the end of yourself. So if you're here and you're struggling with certain things and they've refused to leave you, chances are the biggest possibility is that either you have not yet understood what God has done by Christ, neither yielded yourself to that work, or you're still under the law and you do not know it. Are you following? One of the most revealing scriptures of all time for me one of my top five scriptures that has blessed me over the years of this matter and conversation is in Jude chapter 1 verses 24. Jude chapter 1 verses 24. How beautiful this scripture is. It says, Now unto him who, God, which is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To that man, that person, Jude said, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and never more. He has called him that wise God. 
Therein is the wisdom of God revealed. Therein is the majesty of his glory revealed. Therein is his dominion and power shown to men, both now and forevermore. That he is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So this is where the conversation becomes deep here. That you have a group that is trying to not to fall. <laughs> it's doing everything there is in the book not to fall. And then you have a generation or a group of people that understands the power of God that upholds them not to fall. Those two people cannot have the same results because one man here is using his own power and strength and another one here is entirely leaning on God's power and strength. Are you following me? And it's in how scriptures are misinterpreted. There's a very famous scripture that says, and I'll read it for you. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and I know some of you have read this scripture a lot. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh that he standeth take heed lest he fall. That portion of scripture has been grossly misrepresented. And how is it grossly misrepresented? It's grossly misrepresented to mean that never think that you can stand. That's what some people think, that none of us can stand. So there are people who are every day expecting to fall. You're living a life expecting to fall. And to accept it that you must fall, must, the word emphasized, fall. But that was not the intention of this portion of scripture. Here, he's talking about the man who thinks he's standing in his own strength. That is the one who should not think that he can stand, lest he should fall. Because he is building his confidence in himself. He's building confidence in himself. He's building confidence in himself. And Paul wants that man that if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Because you are building on your own ability and strength. If you read the verses before, you'll see that. He was talking about the man who thinks that he can build in his own confidence, in his flesh to stand. I will not do this again. In his own strength, that man will eventually or consequently fall. That portion of scripture does not mean that it's not possible to stand. That's what some people think. Some people think that that portion of scripture means that it's impossible to stand. That's not what God is teaching here. It is possible to stand. It is possible not to fall by the strength and power only God can give. That's why I told you I love this portion of scripture because it always reminds me that God is able to keep me from falling. He's able to keep you from falling. He told you don't steal, but he's able to keep you from stealing. He told you not to commit adultery and fornication, but he is able to keep you from not committing it. He's able. So that means the only way you can fail to stand is if you have not given him the opportunity to do it. Are you following me, child of God? If you give him the opportunity, he is able to keep you. But the way we teach this is the more we teach the law is the more we push that power and strength and ability and performance in man. And the more we preach grace is the more we push this power, strength and ability in God only to do and fulfill in our lives. Are you following what I'm saying? And this is very important. This is very, very, very important. 
you must understand that the mystery of the new birth, when we say that we are born again, in there, it comes with that power to keep you from falling. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I think, let me read from the first verse. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the stranger scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit and to obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. You were, according to the foreknowledge of God, elected by the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit and to obedience, not disobedience. And then he's telling them, peace be multiplied to you. Verses 3, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who are according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again, this is salvation, and to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verses 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and fedeth not away, reserved in heaven, verses 5, who are kept by the power of God unto salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. All this inheritance, all this glory, all this power, all this that God has given you, he says, above all these things I have given you, I am also keeping you by my power through faith and to salvation. That the only way my power can work with you, firstly, it has to work through your faith. And if it can work through your faith, then salvation is ready for you. What is salvation? Deliverance, healing, breakthrough, and all these other things that salvation defines. In other words, I have kept you by the power my own power, through you believing in me to make sure that you walk out of sexual perversion, to make sure that you walk out of drug addiction, to make sure that you walk out of deception, to make sure that you walk out of being a thief, you walk out of anything that you're dealing with. He says, this has to work through your faith in me. And when you believe me, I am able to keep you. So the only reason why you're dealing with this weakness is because you have a problem in how you believe me and because your faith is not full, then I am struggling as God to keep you by my power because your unbelief separates you from me and throws you back into your own ways of trying to fulfill this, yet you cannot and yet you will not allow me as God to do it because it will require you to believe in me wholly and lean your entire personality on me, of which you're not able, either by the wrong doctrine you've been taught or simply because I'm too good for you to believe it. You know, some people, the way your parents raised you, they used to beat you and do, you don't believe God can be that good. When they say, Father in heaven, you remember your, your father looking at you, telling you, I'll slap you. Then he shakes his head a bit like this. So your definition of father is warped, it's lost. You don't believe that God can be that good. Do you know there are people who have not embraced the gospel because it is too good to be true? Some unbelieve it because they are told wrongly, but some, it is too good. They say, ah, God, this is too good. It can't be true. How can God be that good? But he is that good. That's why we call it the good news. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. In this life of salvation, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 says, he has quickened you which were dead in trespasses. And I want you to underline the word quickening there. And I'm going to come to that a little later. Where in past 
you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That means before you received Jesus Christ, you were fulfilling all the desires of your flesh and of the mind, and you were yielded entirely to your own human lusts like anybody else which is fallen. But when you receive Jesus Christ, the Bible says he quickened you. He quickened you. What does it mean to quicken you? He substituted your human life that could not deliver good and put his life in you that could do good. Now, whether you're living it, whether you've seen its manifestation or not, it's still a done reality by God that he has put his life in you. You might not be living right, but the life, the principle of life is in you. And because that principle of his life is in you, it means you have the innate God-given ability to deal with whatever weakness. To deal with whatever weakness. Before salvation, you didn't have it. That's what he's trying to say here. Before you were born again, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the air. That means before you were born again, Satan could tempt you to do anything and you had no power to do it. Now, that power is in you because you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's why no Christian should say that I have failed to walk out of this. It might be a reality of experience, but... It's also true that you have the ability to walk out. That's why I don't believe in addiction. As a believer, I cannot be addicted to anything because I have the power of God in me to take me out of anything. Who has understood what I just said? If you're born again and you're a drug addict, I have news for you. That principle of life of God in you has the ability to take that drug addiction. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that can hold you to a point where you cannot. You can. People say, oh me, I can't stop sleeping around. You can. You can. There are people in this room who stopped. They just stopped. Because the principle of life is in there. The only difference is that some of us do not know how to tap from that principle of life that which Paul calls the quickening of the Spirit. Some people don't know how to tap into that power. Again, why? Either because we are under the law or because we've not fully understood how to tap therein. And that's what I'm trying to teach you today. That's what I'm trying to show you by Scripture to help you understand how it is done. Somebody shout, Hallelujah. Now, this is how it works. Now, I'm going to tell you one of the... <laughs> biggest lies or deceptions in this field that I've had preachers preach every day and it has been so spoken in church that almost all of us in this room believe it to be true yet it's not true and this is it you have heard of people saying that God is coming back for a church that is without spot, wrinkle, or no blemish have you heard of that portion of scripture? there is no portion of scripture in the Bible that says Jesus is coming back for a church 
that is without spot, no wrinkle, no blemish. It's not there. Newsflash, it's not there. The portion of scripture that they allude to is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25, where he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might, listen, he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. He has said, listen, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church not having spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He did not say that he might come back for it. Who has understood it? The danger of twisting scripture is the Bible says a little living spoils the word. A little leaven spoils the whole lamp. I think the Amplified says a little leaven, a slight inclination to error or a few false teachers. Leaven the whole lamp. It perverts the whole conception of faith or misleads the whole church. That one sentence alone has misled millions. The Bible does not say he is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. The Bible says he is doing, he is walking, he is working with the church to present her spotless, without wrinkle, no blemish. Let me explain the difference and I'll tell you the error. When they were teaching that he's coming for a church that is without spot, no wrinkle, many gave the impression that this is the church, it's born again, he's left it, now he has gone back to be with the Father. Now, the individuals of the church, you, are trying to do everything right. And then one day he's going to come back and separate. You, you did right. You, you didn't do right. You, which did wrong, go to hell. You, which did right, come with me. So that kind of doctrine sort of gives the impression that he left us after saving us to perform on our own ability and is waiting one day to come back and judge us against whether we performed or we did not perform. That is wrong. Jesus has never left the church. Come on, somebody. Jesus has never left the church. Jesus, on the onset of salvation, got married to the church. And when he got married to the church, the Bible tells us, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has loved the church. What does that mean? It's like saying that I marry my wife and I walk away, and one day after 20 or 30 years, I should come back and judge her of how she behaved in my absence. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? I marry my wife to be with her. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Jesus is in us. Oh! That's what Paul calls the mystery that was hidden from the ages past and now revealed. Christ in us, the hope of glory. He did not say Christ in heaven, the hope of glory. He said Christ in us, the hope of glory. He told you as his wife, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am your ever-present help in times of need. Paul says, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. You must believe that Jesus is here. He's in heaven, but he's also here. He's not only in heaven, but he's here. Do you understand what I'm saying? The second coming of Jesus Christ 
is to take your physical self. But spiritually, you are one. When he comes back, some of you will have seen him for the first time. But not us. Not me. I see Jesus. I have seen Jesus. I look to him every day, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Some of you, you're going to see Jesus for the first time, but some of us, is a daily experience. We know him. You see, we might have not seen him in the flesh, but we see him in the spirit. And so when he returns, we shall know this is the guy we've been with every day. Are you following what I'm saying? So the lie was that he now saves you and then goes away and then waits for you to perform all the commandments and then he will come now and judge you against what you did not do right. That's not right teaching. This Jesus has said, he gave himself for it, the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. In other words, when he left in the flesh, he did not leave us. He stayed with us through the person of his word. And every time you're reading the word, every time you're fellowshipping in the word, he's washing and cleansing you. He's washing and cleansing you. He's washing and cleansing you. He's dealing with that nonsense that you feel could not leave you. He's doing all of that work. He's doing it. As you continue to listen to the word, he's doing it. He's taking that stuff out. That's why I tell you always, many of you, you'll notice, as you continue to listen to the word, certain things started to leave you. Yes, yes. That was Jesus cleansing you. He's washing you by his word. The Word of God is available. You're reading the Bible every day. You're listening to scriptures every day. You're taking in, you're allowing the Word of God to fill you. That may Christ dwell in you richly. How does it do that? He does that through His Word. As the Word of God comes through, you get to know the breadth, the height, His love in all measure. And as you continue to do that, the Bible tells us you're getting filled every day and flooded with the richest measure of His presence. And your body, your life, your physical self starts to change and transform and things start leaving you even without rebuking them because you have allowed the Word of God to walk inside you. If you understand it, shout hallelujah. That's exactly what is happening. He has not left us. The person of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that Jesus is with us. And as we continue to listen to the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That faith, remember? Salvation through faith. You remember the person of scripture earlier? that he has kept you by his power through the faith unto salvation. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as you continue hearing the word of God, Jesus is doing his cleansing work. When you read that Ephesian portion of scripture in the message version, if we can go back, aha, uh -huh, verses 25, I believe. Uh -huh. Husbands, he says, go all out in your love for your wives. Now this is what Jesus is doing for the church. Exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving and not getting, 
You see? So he's not expecting from you. He's giving you. Okay? Next line. Christ's love, listen, makes the church whole. His words evoke her word. Beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Who? The church. Everything he does and says. So when we read the word of God, as we continue to read the word of God, he's bringing the best out of you. As you continue yielding to the scriptures, his love makes you perfect. As you listen to revelation, he evokes your beauty. He evokes your beauty. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Who has understood what I just said? There is no greater work than this to listen to the word. If you want to walk effortlessly, let me tell you, look at people who have failed to walk out of certain things and I can tell you their attitude towards the word. I can tell you that it's about their attitude towards the word. You'll find people who are failing to walk out of second witnesses and you've realized again they're the inconsistent ones in the presence. They're the inconsistent ones in the word. You'll see a correlation. You will see you pray today and then you don't pray next week and then you listen to someone after a month and then you come back for two months and then after two months you allow the word to come in and then after three you switch out and then you wait for another two weeks and then the word comes in and then you see you're in and out, you're in and out, you're in and out. How is it going to cleanse you? How is it going to bring out the best in you if you have not given him the opportunity to bring it out? But as you continue listening to the word, Praise the Lord Jesus. You start to realize that some of the things that you never thought, you know, <laughs> I'm a pastor of counsel people. Someone can deal with something and say, ah, this one I've allowed until Jesus returns. This one, this one will never leave me. They call it their thorn in the flesh. Yeah, pastor, me, this one. Uh-uh. God knows. If you wanted to take it, you would take it away. But one, he has given you the life that takes it out. And two, his word is available to stir that life to perform. You can only accept that it will never go because you have never understood either how he works. You've never understood that he can't take it out or that you have what takes it out. Or you simply enjoy your thing. You know, there are also people who enjoy some demons. You can never understand it. One time I was trying to help somebody who was dealing with a familiar spirit, divination, Apollos. I never knew that a man can love a spirit, a demon spirit. As hard as this might sound to some of you, it is the truth that some spirits are so seductive that you can fall in love with them if you're not mature. I'm telling you, they're so seductive. You must understand how the pleasure principle works. Do you know how hard it is to let go of something that gives you pleasure? And do you know that you cannot truly be delivered from anything that gives you pleasure except your pleasure is replaced with some other pleasure? Well, otherwise, then you're not free. So you have those ones who think, I'm not going to do it. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. Freedom is when you can stand and you don't feel any urge anymore. It has no power over you. 
And I'm saying that by what God has put in you, it's actually possible. It's possible. So that pleasure is the seduction I'm talking about. Now, this person that I was trying to help, for example, had become so accurate in the prophetic ministry, but they were yielding to a familiar spirit. And this accuracy in the prophetic made them so functional. And in letting go of the familiar spirit, they were going to be less functional, but yet true. And yet they have built a world of reward against functional. Now, if you're not mature, you cannot understand what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say, if you got a person dealing with a familiar spirit here, and they were prophet, a prophetic person with a familiar spirit, and then you got a true prophet of God here and told both, prophesy now. A true prophet of God might, he might say, no. Why? Because there is no purpose. You see, a true prophet of God might say, no. I prophesy because God has told me, but not because you want me to what? To prophesy. You see what I'm saying? Or God might refuse to reveal to a true prophet what the devil is ready to reveal to a false prophet by reason of the underlying principles that govern divine oracle. I'll give you a fundamental example. Shunammite woman, her son is dead. All right? And then she goes to the prophet, Elisha. And when she comes, the Bible says, he sends his servant. Go and see what that Shunammite is saying. And then he asks the Shunammite, is all well? And the Shunammite woman says, all is what? Well. And when she comes to the prophet, the Bible tells us in the second Kings chapter 4, verse 27, when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God told him, let her alone for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord has hid it from me and has not told me. Now, our new age prophets would think that Elisha was shallow. He needed to be a bit more major. But let me tell you something. By fundamental principle, God would not reveal to Elisha what the Shunammite has not accepted in her heart. So God is saying, even though you are a prophet, I cannot show anything to you because she has not accepted that her child has died. She's saying it is well. Gehazi asked is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she said, it is well with my husband. It is well with my child. No law divine could allow God to accept what the Shunammite had refused. No prophet could see that because by heaven it was not a record. Who is following what I'm saying? So, in this instance, if Elisha said, God has hid it from me and I've not seen it, it only makes him a true prophet. But if this woman found a 
familiar spirit, a divination spirit, it would say, you've lost your child. Why? Because it only sees from the realms of men in their accuracies, not truth. Who understands what I'm saying? So this one might fail to prophesy that day. And then this one can prophesy on everybody. That doesn't mean that this one is true. You see what I'm saying? Any prophet would tell you, you're more functional with a familiar spirit to men. And you're more functional with God because of the Holy Spirit, but only unto God. Only unto God. Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Yet, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So no prophet can go beyond Jesus. Who understands what I'm saying? Their work is to please God, not to please man. Divination is transactional. That is why the Bible says, she brought her masters much gain through soothe saying. That's why I warn you, any prophetic ministry that has a hard inclination on money has a big chance not to be of God. Any prophetic ministry, no matter how prophetic, how accurate. Because remember, it's called the spirit of divination. And Acts 16, 16 says, she brought her master's much gain by soothsaying. So there is a man profiting through the prophetic. So in present day, you'd say, come with a prophet's reward. Come with a gift for the prophet. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, if you go back in the time of Balaam and Balak, that story still comes through. The elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand and they came to Balaam. Why? Because it was best practice that whenever you get to a soothsayer or a psychic or a sorcerer or anybody who can speak into your future, you carry the rewards of divination. So when the king is sending elders to go to Balaam, Balak is sending elders to go to Balaam, he has to give them the rewards of what divination to come to the prophet, to tell him, look, the king has sent all of this to pay you for what you're going to prophesy. Do you understand what I'm saying? New Testament prophetic ministry, even old, was not attached to the reward that came with divination or the prophetic work. That is why Gehazi gets leprosy. Because when they come to the prophet Elisha, they come to Elisha, Naaman thinks he's carrying the reward of divination. Because they used to do it. They used to pay diviners. So Elisha is saying, I'm a prophet of God. I don't take pay for a divine oracle. Now Gehazi goes to follow to receive what the prophet could not take. So Gehazi can actually be richer than Elisha. And the wealth of Gehazi does not justify him as a prophet. Sorry, I was preaching about righteousness. I don't know why I'm going there, but I'm helping somebody. Are you following what I'm saying? This performs as you start it. This 
is entirely of God and the Spirit. So it's God's leading. If he chooses to do it, he will. If you can't speak through the man, he will stay submissive to that spirit. You see, that's why I warn my prophetic people, especially those of you who are listening to me now. There's nothing as dangerous as ever feeling like you are on pressure to prophesy. Don't ever put yourself on pressure to prophesy. If you don't feel it, don't say anything. And the day it comes, it will come. And when it comes, I have my days also where I become so crazy. But when it doesn't, I'm okay. Because it's not what pays my bills. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now you understand why it's hard for me to speak about money for 20 minutes because you need to give. You get my point? Because I don't want to get to a point where I'm selling what was given me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, we have power to manipulate. We can. Because we have the language and the grace to do miracles and to speak into people's lives prophetically. You see? But if I should put a price to that, then I might be inclining. So in your day, either there's some oil you need to buy or some water you must buy or some rice or some chicken, whatever. But there's some tea, if you drink it, you have to pay and that it will deliver you. You know, it's the same thing. It's really rewarding, the diviner. Who has understood what I just said? It's rewarding the diviner. If you want to meet the prophet, you have to pay this money. You have to pay this much. You need to pay 200,000 per meeting. I was in South Africa once and <laughs> I was counseling some people who wanted to meet a certain prophet. And there was even a list. Lunch with the prophet, $5,000. Uh, this minutes with the prophet, uh, $1,000. You know, the prophet has some shoes. If you buy them, your destiny is aligned. The prophet has some oil. And he said, you buy this oil at, uh, I don't know how many dollars, but the moment you put it somewhere, wherever you put it, the angels stay. <laughs> you buy that angel oil. It's called angel oil. You have to pay like some dollars. Hmm? The moment you put it on a car, nobody can steal it. Because the angels of the prophet all come on the car and guard the car the whole night because you bought the prophet's oil. <laughs> <laughs> and people who pay such amounts can never give it to the church. They can't give it freely to a true church because in there, when you study them, they are elastic. They go to prophets like they're going to a witch doctor. Speak, master. Your servant is listening. See? Yet you can hear him. You're his sheep. You see what I'm saying? So, no son or daughter of this ministry should ever sell what God gave you freely. Never sell it. Never sell it. Because you'd rather be right by God. Now I want to bring this to a close. Back to what we're teaching. Jesus is coming back for a spotless church without blemish nor wrinkle but not as one who left it to its own self to perform. On the contrary, since salvation, he married the church and by his word, he is staying present with it and in the intimacies he shares with the church, he's washing and 
cleansing with his word to build the character that reconciles with its identity. And on the second coming, he will present this church to the Father without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle, because only he is able to present it faultless before the Father. None of us have that power. So strip yourself of the power to fix yourself and hand it over to Jesus. You will come out of this thing very quickly than you ever thought. Somebody shout hallelujah. There's a portion of scripture that says that there's a way that seems rightful to a man, but the end of it are the ways of death. Plural. The way is singular, but the ways of death are plural. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Now, when we preach this majorly, for many people, it's either we're talking to people who are non-believers or we're talking to people about the things they are doing but are wrong. Don't do this. That way seems like it is right, but it's the ways of death. And to that degree, you are right. But also, let us go deeply into the understanding of the law and grace. You'll see that this scripture also applies. There is a way, and it's the way of the law. But there's another way here too. Jesus says, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm another way. He did not say, I am a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. You get the difference? Now, when you go in the other way of the law, the Bible tells us that the letter killeth. If you seek to do it by... Don't steal, I will not steal. Don't kill, I will not kill. The Bible says the letter killeth. Isn't this a way of death also? Come on, answer me. Isn't this a, a way of death also? The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. So even in this, I can say that if a man goes the way of the law, they're going the ways of death because the letter will kill them. They will not perform. God will prove to you that you can't. And the reason why you fail to work out of that thing is because you're still using your own human effort and ability to. But if you go that way, which is Christ, yield entirely to him and his personality and allow him to work in you both to will and to do. Did you remember the person of scripture? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. <gasps> It looks like God has now thrown the responsibility to the believer. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12. Next verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. But the teachers of the law only read verses 12. Work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. Jesus is coming back for the church without spot nor wrinkle. And then you start performing. So that when Jesus comes, he doesn't throw you to the wolves. No. It is still him going to work in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So what am I to do to walk out of this? Increase the time you hear the word. Increase the time you hear the word. Just increase the time you hear the word. If you're struggling with some issue and you're listening to the word for one hour, increase your listening to the word daily to two or three and just sit in the word and let him cleanse you. 
let him deal with you. As you listen, that is the only thing. Faith will come. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you can only believe, the Bible says you'll see the salvation of God. So what does he want from you? Seize from your human works and learn to receive the word. Nobody who hears the word constantly through the yielding grace of God can fail to defeat any weakness. Nobody. Nobody. That's why I tell you, it's the secret of the intimacy. The communication is clear. It's like husband and wife misunderstanding each other. He said one thing and she interpreted it another. You've seen it, some of you. Somebody says something and their partner interprets it another way. It means that the inner voice, I call it the inner voice of intimacy between these two people is conflicting. The inner voices of intimacy between this couple are not reconciled. And there's truth wanting in either both or one of them. Something about truth is usually the challenge. If they can reconcile under truth, the voices of intimacy will agree. And once those voices agree, communication becomes so effective because you don't hear different from what your spouse is saying. Because that's where deception and destruction begins. So it is with Jesus that as you continue this intimate relationship, his voice becomes clear. Throw out the noises. Eh? There's this common scripture you read, but many of you don't understand it. Be still, comma, and know. Who has understood it? It's in the stillness of the spirit that you begin to know. You see, so we need to teach people how to silence your spirit. Because when you do, you learn to hear God. You learn to hear God. You learn to hear God. Even in this generation, God wants us to live right. More so in the grace dispensation, we must live better than anybody under the law. Who has understood what I just said? We must live more righteous lives than anybody under the law. We must be the beacon of light that Paul should look at and say, truly, if that man stopped this, then the grace of God truly works. We must not be the voice of conflict and concern because we believe grace. That's abusing the ministry of grace. And some of us do because we have not understood grace. Paul said, I did not receive the grace of God in vain. I do not repudiate it. He says, but I labored more abundantly than all my brethren. Yet not I, but the grace of God that labored in me abundantly. Grace will help you walk out. Grace walks with you. It doesn't hold you responsible. It carries the responsibility with you. It just doesn't hold you accountable only, but it carries accountabilities with you because he wants to present you blameless. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong love, perfectly 
to redeem, to transform, to reveal you through us and that our character will agree with the anointing that you've placed on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and believe in all sense. Yay! Come on, clap for Jesus. Uh, if you're there and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, this is the moment, this is the time this is the hour I want to allow you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Those of you who want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you sent your word for me today. I believe that you died for my sin and you are raised for my glory. Today, I receive you 
as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.